G'day guys, Luke McElroy from Mets Performance Consulting. Welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets Podcast, joined by Nick Jane Koskis again today. We're going to go through a, a, a bit of a, I guess, a new little mini-series talking about one percenters. Um, at the time of releasing this podcast, there's lots of racing back. Uh, a lot of people are racing most weekends at the moment, whether it's cycling, running or triathlon. Um, and we just wanted to go through some little things that you can do pre-race uh, to, to get an extra 1% or 2% benefit that uh, is worthwhile doing once you reach sort of your peak fitness. So the first one we want to talk about today is using a sauna to acclimate to a hot environment to get the, the benefits of, of increasing your sweat rate so that you can cool yourself down. So traditionally what, what happens is, uh, let's say you're going to Kona or you're going to Cairns Ironman, somewhere it's a bit hot and humid, you'd need to go over to that environment for at least 14 days um, and you'd have to exercise at a minimum two times per week at 50% VO2 max, which is just low end zone too, it's not hard to do, uh, but you'd have to do that for 60 minutes. So 60 minutes twice a week uh, at, a, at a continuous zone two intensity, which everybody could do, but the practicality of actually getting to Cairns early or, or Kona early might not be uh, appropriate for the everyday age group triathlete. So um, what I wanna to talk to you about today is uh, an alternative. I, I always hear of people going into the bathroom and turning the, the hot tap on and trying to steam it up and, and using that as a wind trainer session to maybe acclimatize to the environment or acclimate to the environment. But there is a, a better way because you're not gonna to get to those really high temperatures by doing this. And there was a, a couple of research studies out there uh, and the one I'm gonna reference is on six male runners, so only six, so it is a small, a small sample group, but it, there are other research articles to suggest that it's quite effective. Six male runners, uh, they did three weeks of jumping in a sauna after a, a, a running session two times per week um, versus three weeks with no sauna. So basically they, they did a, a time to exhaustion test, a 15 minute ramp test uh, as, their, as their baseline to, to measure um, their current physiological characteristics. And then they went and did their normal training. And then within half an hour after their running session, two times a week, they'd jump in a sauna, which was at 90 degrees, plus or minus two, so 90 degrees. Um, and, and the end result of this was essentially they were able to acclimate to the environment. So they were able to get very similar physiological adaptations to as if they were to go to Cairns or Kona for two weeks. Um, there was a, it was reported there's a 1.9% improvement in their endurance time trial. So if you're holding like a, you're doing a 5k time trial, for example, you have a 1.9% improvement in that. Um, and a lot of that, or pretty much all of that was attributed to having an increase in blood volume. Okay. Mostly from the blood plasma volume. So blood plasma is what we lose when we sweat. So half your blood is fluid and that's plasma. That's, that's the part that you sweat out, and half of it's red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, the other stuff. So it didn't have any significant change in your red blood cells. The only way you do that is through uh, just general training, but also looking at altitude. Uh, but it did have an increase in your blood plasma volume. So what that means is if we have more blood plasma, then we are going to take longer to dehydrate because we've got more fluid in the blood. So the adaptation that we get through acclimatization or acclimation, same thing, just whether you're at the environment or not, is that we have a, an increased blood plasma volume, which increases our sweat rate, which is good because we need to sweat to thermoregulate, to cool our body down, but we don't get that loss of, of sodium and other electrolytes. So you sweat more, but you lose less sodium, so you're able to more effectively cool yourself down and therefore perform better uh, in, especially in hot environments, but even in normal environments where uh, increased core body temperature is, is an issue. 
So it's a really easy way. Do a training session, nice hard training session, two times a week, jump in a sauna. So you might do a Monday and a Thursday, spread them out a little bit, just for 20 minutes at 90 degrees. Now, the, the problem with this is that it's very hard to find a sauna that's gonna be at 90 degrees. I used to work in a pool, and you never get the sauna up above 70 to 75 degrees. So that's probably one thing that we need to speculate on, on what we would do to, um, to get the same benefits. And in my head, I'm thinking, all right, well, you probably just need to increase your exposure time. So if we're currently at 20 minutes at 90 degrees, then maybe it needs to be 30 or 35, maybe pushing 40 minutes at that 75 degrees, which you're gonna get at pretty much any aquatic center that has a sauna. Um, so that's, that's an overview of, of the research. It's a very easy way to include, who doesn't want to jump in a sauna for half an hour after? Pretty a, easy one, isn't it? Yeah, no one, have to do a lot. No one's going to complain too much about jumping in a sauna after exercise uh, for 30 minutes twice a week. Uh, but it's a really easy way to just get that 1.9%, according to this, you know, 2% gain a um, couple of weeks out, two weeks out from a race or three weeks out from a race. Uh, it, it's just free speed, essentially. So... Have you got any thoughts on on this, Nick? Have you had? Uh, have you? I've prescribed this to a few of my athletes, and anecdotally, they're like, "Yep, I've never measured the blood plasma volume, but anecdotally, they go, "Yep, that makes sense, and it, and I feel good." Um, I guess the the main thing here is that it's it's only done on six male runners, and, and I think the main the main thing or the main piece of feedback I get from my athletes is that, well, practically to to come from let's say an athletics track to then go to the pool to then jump in the sauna uh isn't as practical like does it would it work for swimming because uh, you go it's easy if you can just swim and then just go across to the sauna in the same place um i know you saw some research about swimming what did that have to say because i don't think it had too much it relevance was more, to this did it? yeah it was more about like using a sauna as a recovery modality but in the end there wasn't there wasn't any real positive effect out of doing it so um didn't really go into like why that might have been the case but it was it's a type of thing obviously from a practicality perspective it's great um whether it has something to do and we were sort of talking about this before of your core body temperature prior to going into the sauna obviously in the pool it's gonna be a lot lower particularly if you're swimming in an outdoor 50 um water temperature will generally feel quite cold and you'll feel you'll be pretty cool once you get out whether that has an impact then on um, ultimately what, what the response is when you jump into that sauna. I don't know whether the change in temperature, a bit more of a change in temperature, does that induce more of an effect or less of an effect? Um, but at, at the same time, it's like, again, what, what's going to be the most practical if, you, if we're already missing maybe some of the temperature as well? It's like, is there going to be that much added benefit by going um, off your run or bike sessions where we know it's probably based on the research, a little bit more effective, but um, I don't think that's gonna be the, the end of the world. I think any exposure is probably better than none is probably the the key point, as long as it's not doing any harm. Like we obviously don't wanna be sitting in there and dehydrating ourselves and not not really recovering from that for then our following sessions. I think that's probably the key point that stands out for me of if we are gonna extend the exposure at a lower temperature, still be mindful that you still need to be hydrating. This isn't a process of just trying to get good at dehydrating yourself and recovering or, or being in a dehydrated state. It's, we, we still need to hydrate afterwards and then um, ultimately still be able to go and train effectively in our other sessions and still have a good session before we get into there. So they're probably considerations I'm sort of thinking through um, in terms of prescription. Maybe the only other one as well is the sensation, I guess, perceived exertion of doing the session, doing an actual session in 
hot conditions rather than just sitting in the exposure. Um, whether that has an additional benefit, more so just on the psychological side, like you, you feel like you can push hard in that those warm conditions or you you feel more comfortable when you're actually out on the bike in, in hot temperatures. That's obviously the bonus of going to the environment before you can get out and sort of get a feel for what it's like, um, maybe on the course and things like that. But obviously when you, if you're coming out of say a Melbourne winter, going into Cairns middle of the year or Sunshine Coast or Kona, or Kona um, that's probably not gonna be as practical. So, um, but in terms of, I guess, like we said before, any exposure is gonna be, gonna be beneficial if you are planning to go and then race in a, in a warmer climate. Um, but then also potentially in even races, I mean, wasn't too warm um, recently at things like Geelong and that comparatively to Kona, like still pretty warm in summer, but you're potentially going to find a little bit of an effect there. I know a few athletes sort of did battle feeling like they were getting a bit of increased temperature as the run went on. Right? Maybe one of these these little add-ons, little 1%ers could be of benefit even when it's not super hot in terms of racing, even in a morning 70.3 race where it gets to sort of 18, 20 degrees, obviously working quite hard with the increased intensity might be useful to sort of add in as a little bit of your prep and, and provide that extra little boost. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of key points to uh, that you've made there. And one is that this has nothing to do with dehydration. You do not yep. need to be dehydrated. That is not the stimulus. The stimulus is that you've, you've already stressed your body through a training session. And then within 30 minutes afterwards, you're continuing that heat stress by going to an environment that's 70, well, in theory, 90 degrees, but let's yep. be honest, 70 to 75 degrees because that's what the commercial saunas are. So you don't need to dehydrate yourself. Bring a bottle of water in, yeah. drink it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah you, and then continue to drink fluids after you get out of the sauna as well. Absolutely. It's got nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with dehydration and everything to do with the sheer heat stress that the sauna brings. So that's number one. The other thing is that you'll see that um, a lot of commercial saunas won't allow people under the age of normally like 15 or 16 to use the sauna. And that's because adolescents don't have uh, fully developed thermoregulatory processes yet. They don't thermoregulate as effectively as, as an adult does. And it's even worse if you get younger, you know, 10-year-olds, 5-year-olds, etc. Clearly, they're not going to go in the saunas, but be very aware of that, that they're you're not trying to pass out. You're not going to do anything like that. You're just trying to expose yourself to the heat for 20 to 30 minutes or so. Um, and the other point you made there, yeah, hey, you know, it probably is better to go over uh, 14 days prior if you can, but obviously a lot of people aren't going to be able to do that, yeah. take time off work, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it would make sense that if you're exposed to that specific environment, I guess, 24-7 for two weeks, mm. that's going to be better than, than a short bout of two times a week, you know, 20 or 30 minutes in the sauna. You could always progress that to three or four or five times. I don't think you're going to get any negative effect by doing too much sauna use, so long as you're making sure that you're hydrating and things like that. Um, and I guess the other thing to, to point out is that it's all well and good going over to the race 14 days prior or something like that, but then you've you got other things like your sleep routines and uh, you know, you're sleeping in a different bed and, and all Time that. Time zone changes. And, yeah, yeah, so there's lo lots of different things that you need to adapt to versus I know maybe this is a podcast or another topic. I think we've done it prior before, but it might be worth revisiting is do you go over a couple of weeks before or do you literally fly in the, the night before and then race the next day and then it's, it's you know fairly uh, uninterrupted compared to what your normal routine would be and, that, and for some people that works really effectively um so i think in summary let's wrap this up because we've just ticked over sort of 11 and a half minutes uh in summary if you can't head over to the hot humid environment for two weeks prior to your race uh it, it, it seems to be very effective if you can do a a training session preferably running or cycling but if you need to do swimming something's better than nothing uh do your hard session within 30 minutes after the session 
two times per week, jump in a sauna. Uh, because it's not gonna be 90 degrees, it's gonna be 75-ish. Let's say we need to increase that 20 minute continuous duration to let's say 30 to 40, just as a guess. I think that's probably 30, 35, something like that. Um, and that's going to increase your blood plasma volume, which means you'll sweat more, but lose less electrolytes and not become dehydrated. So you'll be more able to cool yourself, which is gonna be really effective for those, uh, those races over in the hotter and the hum more humid environments. So that's it uh, from us today. We will do some additional podcast episodes on these one or 2% benefits we can get prior to racing. If you have any ideas or you've seen something that you want us to, to critique, please send them to nick at metsperformance.com or hit us up on Instagram at metsperformance and we'll speak to you on the next one. Hey podcast, Nick from Mets here. Hopefully you enjoyed another great episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. If you want to keep up to date with any future episodes we produce, other content we create here, or just anything that's happening in the lab here in general, be sure to click the link below. Sign up to our weekly updates. We're going to receive some absolute gold in terms of what's happening in the lab, what are we seeing and observing, and also some of our old content as well that you might have missed to further understand the science behind endurance performance. So if you are interested, make sure you do click the link below, sign up for those weekly updates, and head over to our social media as well. Follow us along at Instagram, at Mets Performance. Head over to Facebook. We have a great YouTube channel as well. Be sure to check out all of our great content that is already up there, but also some of the great stuff that is coming soon. Thanks again. Be sure to share the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed another episode and we'll see you in the next one.